Another welcome to you as we continue our worship. Enjoy the song service. Appreciate the reading. It was done by Joshua Blanton, not by Barry Davidson. Thank you, Josh, for filling in. That is our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. Appreciate what uh, Derek had to say about, he said he's closer to 40 now than he is 30. I'm, I'm, I'm closer to 40 as well uh, than I am to 100. So we kind of got something in common there. I'm closer to 40 as well. Um, end of the year, this is the very last Sunday, the very last day of the year. My daughter reminded me, and as well as uh, others this morning, that the if you're writing out a check or something, today is 123123. 123123. 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. So I don't know when that's ever going to happen again. So enjoy it. Enjoy it today. Enjoy it. I'm sure you've noticed that each year almost all the, the major news outlets, magazines, etc., they, they put out an issue a lot of times with a lot of pictures, a pictorial section recalling people and events that have made uh, that were made uh, during the previous year. Of course, this year we have the wars in the Ukraine. We have the war in Israel, dominating the coverage, uh, as well as the upcoming election year next year. Doesn't it seem like we're always in an election year? I mean, it seems like every three or four months there's another election, and people. Campaigning uh, wears me out. Uh, many of the news outlets also include articles by experts uh, predicting what they think the future is going to hold. Some of them are even so bold as to predict 10, 20, even more years into the future. These are some things that, that people, these experts, uh, predict. Occasionally, some of those have proven uh, to come true, uh, but for the most part, they, they fall woefully short of really understand, uh, excuse me, understanding or predicting the future. For example, back in 1967, experts predicted that by the turn of the century, by the year 2000, technology would have taken over so much of the work that we do that the average American work week would be only 22 hours long and that we would work only 27 years out of the week, 27 weeks out of the year. All right, you understand what I'm saying. It's been a long year, all right? Y'all hang with me. The work week would only be 22 hours long and we would only work 27 weeks of the year. In fact, they said that the biggest uh, challenge that we would have in front of us would be, how are we going to use all of our leisure time? That was predicted back in 1967. I don't know about you, but I think that prediction certainly seemed to have missed the mark. In fact, most of us seem to be very busy people. We're always busy. We're always in a hurry. We walk fast. We talk fast. We eat fast. And then when we get up from eating, we say, got to run, got to go. And so here we are, the last Sunday of 2023, the last day of the year, and I wonder how we'll do next year. Will we be as busy? Will we make any better use of our time? 
365 days from now, maybe 366. I think next year's a leap year. Am I right? 366 days when the new year is over, will we be looking back with regret? Will we be looking at the future with anticipation or with a sense of dread? Our passage this morning, uh, I think, can really help us as we, as we look forward. Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read it to you again. This is from the New International Version. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So I think our passage this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul presents some important lessons for us that we need to consider. And first of all, we must be very careful how we live because our time on earth is very limited. Our time on this earth is very limited. The psalmist wrote, this is Psalm 39, verse 4, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. And then again in Psalm 90, he says, The length of our days is 70 years, or 80, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away, and we fly away. Psalm 90 and verse 10. I know for some of you younger folks, 70 or 80 years uh, seems like a long, long time. In fact, I can remember um, back when anybody that was 40 years or older seemed like they were really old, really ancient. Several years ago, this has been several years ago, my mom was in the grocery store, and I was talking to her on the phone, and she said, guess who I saw in the grocery store today? And I said, who? She said, I saw your sixth-grade teacher, Mrs. Dudney. And I thought to myself, is that woman still alive? I mean, she, how old is she now, 100, 120? My mom said, she's my age. She's the same age as I am. I thought to myself, when I was in sixth grade, I thought she was like 70 or 80 years old. She looks ancient to me. She was about 40. I guess it's all pretty relative, isn't it? Example, when teenagers are in love, they're talking together in the car. An hour or two seems like just the blink of an eye. Mom and dad sitting inside, worried about what's going on in the car. An hour or two. Seems like an eternity, right? Seems like forever. The psalmist tells us to number our days so that we will develop a heart of wisdom. Several years ago, um, People Magazine published an article entitled Dead Ahead. Some of you may have remembered this. It was talking about a, a new clock that keeps track of how much time you have left. It calculated the average lifespan uh, of 75 years for a man and and 80 years for a woman. You'd have to kind of tweak that 
today it's, it's, it fluctuates. Um, but you would program in your, your sex and your age into the clock, and then from, in, from then on out, it would tell you how much time you have left. Sold for about $100. Would you like to have that? Would you like to wake up in the morning, and you look over, and you rub your eyes, the alarm goes off, it's 6 o'clock, it's 6.30, and then you look right next to it, and there's a clock counting down. <laughs> you have this much time left. I... I I don't think I would like to look at that every day. But that's really what the psalmist tells us to do. He says to number our days. So I calculated. If I live to be 80 years old, I have about 7,665 days left to live. 7,665 days. That's all I have left to live if I live to be 80. But I don't want a clock telling me that every day when I wake up. One more day. In fact, the Bible tells us not to even count on tomorrow. You and I don't have tomorrow promised. We don't even have the rest of today promised. So our time on this earth is so very valuable because it is very limited. Secondly, the Apostle Paul tells us that we, we need to make the most of every opportunity, and then he gives us a reason. Why do we need to make the most of every opportunity? He says, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Jesus said that Satan is a thief, and he is a robber. There in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. We talked about this not long ago, but the thief actually there that he's talking about is representative of, of the Jewish leaders, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees. They were, to be the, they were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, but they weren't doing a good job. But ultimately, everything um, that is behind evil is Satan. Satan is a robber. He is a thief. And what he wants to steal is our time. Because time is a very, very precious possession. Just think of all the time wasted in sinning. Think of the time wasted in bars or in a casino or in some shallow affair. Think of all the time wasted gossiping or spreading rumors about someone. Think about all the time wasted worrying about the consequences of the sins that we've already committed. You think about that. You, you mess up, you, you do something you shouldn't do, you have thoughts you shouldn't do, you say something you shouldn't say, and now we have all of this time wasted thinking about Who's going to know? Is mom and dad going to find out? Is she going to know what I did? Is he going to figure it out? We spend all this time wasting on sins that we've already committed. Satan is a thief and he is a robber. But it's not just sin that demands our time. Sometimes even good things can make demands. You remember the story, Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. 
And he sat down to teach, and Mary was, was sitting at his feet, and she was just soaking up everything that Jesus was talking about. And meanwhile, Martha was, was in the kitchen. She was cooking supper. And you know, the, you know the story. Martha gets very upset because Mary is not in the kitchen helping her. And so she complains to Jesus. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. Martha is telling this to Jesus. She's saying, Jesus, make her get up and help me. And Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha. Now listen, anytime Jesus says your name twice, you know you're kind of in trouble. It's kind of like your mama using your middle name, right? That's the only reason we have three names. You understand that, right? We're given a middle name because when your mama uses your middle name, you know you are in trouble. That's the only time anybody uses it. So Jesus says to her, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's Luke chapter 10. I want to ask you, was Martha committing a sin by fixing the meal in the kitchen? No, of course not. We like it when people cook, right? We want somebody to do that. But here's the problem. She was so preoccupied by what she was doing that she didn't realize that God was in her living room. Come on, y'all. She was so preoccupied by the here and the now, by all the things that she thought needed doing, she didn't realize that God was on her couch in the living room. And that's the same mistake that you and I make every day. We get so caught up in the here and the now that we fail to deal with the eternal. We fail to deal with the things that will last forever and ever. You know, we, we need to pray. When people are sick, we need to pray. You've got a physical need. Jesus says you can take that to the Father and you, you can pray about that. There's nothing that is that's too big or that is too in, insignificant to lay before the feet of our Father. But when you stop and think about it, and this is what I, I want us to think about this for the coming new year. So much of what we pray about is about the physical. It's about the here. It's about the now. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't list our sick in our bulletin. But so much of our prayer life, so much of my prayer life, is spent praying about physical things, about healing for someone that I love or I care about. Still, still want to do that. But I want to increase my prayer life around the things that are eternal. What's going to make a difference in the kingdom? What's going to make an, a difference for eternity? Not just the here and now. Richard Swinson, he was a medical doctor. He actually just passed away earlier this year, I think back in June. He wrote a book in which he discusses one of the major issues of our time, anxiety, stress, he called it overload. I think the name of his book was The Overload Syndrome. And he says that people are just plain overloaded. The first thing he says, we're overloaded with commitments. 
We, we've committed ourselves to go here and to go there to take part in this activity or that social function or we've got to get the kids to soccer, to jazz, to ballet, to tap. We've got all these things that we've committed ourselves to. We, we meet ourselves coming and going because we have just overloaded ourselves in the area of commitments. Secondly, he says, we're also overloaded with possessions. Our closets are full, our our garages are overflowing. We've gone into debt to pay for all these things that we just simply must have. And now he says we're so afraid that somebody will come and steal them. We're just overloaded in the area of possessions. Thirdly, he says we have an overload in the area of work. We get up early, we fight traffic, experience uh, harsh working conditions because we have to if we're going to pay for all the possessions that we've accumulated. And then fourthly, he says, there's also an information overload. Man, I see this a lot. He said that as a doctor, he had to read 220 articles a month just to keep up with all the changes in his profession. 220 articles a month. And now with the internet, I mean, it's, it's information superhighway, right? I mean, at our fingertips, we have all of this information, but the problem is we can't absorb it all. We're just overloaded with all of this stuff. We could go on and on and on about that kind of stuff, but I think you get the picture. There are so many demands on our time, even so many good things that need to be done. But there are just 8,760 hours in the new year. I guess if we have leap day, leap year, you add 24 hours to that. I can't keep all this math straight. But we do want to make the most of every opportunity. So if we're going to do that, what do we have to do? Well, to answer that, Paul tells us, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what his will is. What do you think God's will for you is in this coming year? Do you think he wants your mind so saturated with worries and anxieties that you can't think about spiritual thoughts? Is that God's will? Do you think God wants your calendar so crowded that you have no time for the important things? What do you think God's will is for your life? And so often when we say, I want to know what God's will is, we're thinking some big grandiose thing that, that, you know, God is calling me to go to a, to a foreign mission field or God is calling me to start some big program. And I'm not, maybe, maybe that's part of what God wants for you, but I'm talking about day to day. Sometimes we get bogged down in, 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 in thinking about what God's will is. I want to just get very, um, very plain here, very simple. I want to make a, a couple of suggestions as we close this morning for us all to consider. First of all, and, and this is going to sound so easy. This is not revolutionary, okay? But I want to remind you of these things. First of all, establish your priorities. Establish priorities. I'm assuming that since you're in church this morning that, that all of you think that God should be a part of your life, okay? If that is true, when you begin to establish priorities, you have to decide exactly where he stands in your life. 
So ask yourself this. Who or what is the most important thing in my life? Who or what is the most important thing in my life? And I'm hoping that your answer is going to be my relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing in my life. And if that's the case, then you put him at the top of your list of priorities, and then you say, this will affect my decisions. This will affect my schedule. This will affect my relationship with other people. And this will affect uh, my whole outlook on life because God is my priority. And then you say this, therefore, when Sunday rolls around, neither rain nor sleet, nor snow, nor shine, nor hail, nor football kickoff times, nor tea times will affect my being in church. Nothing will interfere with me being in church because God comes first in my life. I will worship the Lord, and nothing will interfere with that. When you get your priorities straight, that's what you say. Secondly, you also need to schedule some definite time each day to pray and to read God's word. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for the people around you. Pray for the church universal. Pray for this church. Pray for our elders. Pray for the deacons. Pray for your preacher your minister. I, I, I love the idea that people are praying for me. Don't you love that? When I first came, um, Landon, your mom, every Sunday she would say, I'm praying for you. I pray for you every day this week. And I just felt so, I just felt so good. I felt so warm. So I told Landon, I said, your mom your mom tells me that she's praying for me. And he said, she tells that to everyone. You know, she says that to everyone. Thank you, Lyndon. No, I, I mean, people are sincerely praying for me. I love that. Maybe I'm one of the most prayed over people in the church. Maybe people are just praying that they have a better preacher sometime. I don't know. But I love the idea that somebody's praying for me. Spend time in prayer. Pray for the people around you. Pray for your family. You'll be blessed. You will be blessed as you grow in your faith and as you grow in your trust with the Lord. Thirdly, you all, you've got to spend time with your family. You must spend time with your family. Husbands and wives, you need to spend time together. Talking, listening, that may be more important. Listening, maybe go to dinner and a movie, maybe just stay home. But you need face-to-face -face time, talking, listening to one another. Spend time with your children. Paula and Haley and I drove down to, to Nashville Friday. My older son flew in from California. Um, he met his wife at 
uh, Lipscomb. She wasn't his wife when he met her. Uh, you understand that. But they met when they were at Lipscomb. Uh, graduated, got married, lived in Nashville for about 10 years. But she's from California. And so two years ago, they moved to California, took my two oldest grandbabies with them. And so um, he came back. This is the first time that I've seen him in two and a half years. And um, time is, is slipping away. He's almost, he'll be 36 years old in a little over a month. And um, I look at him and I just think I'm, I'm proud of the man that he is. But he's a, he's a grown man. He's not a little baby anymore. And I'm hearing little babies right now. And I love it. And nobody can tell you this, Mama. Nobody can tell you this, Daddy. But they grow up so fast. They grow up so fast. Spend time. And listen, we, we've, we've been bought, we bought into a lie. Satan has, has, has fed us a lie that we need to spend quality time with our kids. And sometimes we... We say to ourselves, I don't spend a lot of time with my kids. I'm so busy with work. I'm so busy doing this. I'm so busy making a living that I don't have time. But the time I spend with them is quality time. Listen to me. There's no such thing as just quality time. Quality time comes in the middle of quantity. You can't just carve out quality time. Quality time comes in the midst of a large quantity of time. So what I'm saying to you, mamas and daddies, spend time with your kids. Kids, don't be so quick to rush off and spend time with your friends. Spend time with your parents. It'll go by way too quickly. Make sure you spend quality time and quantity time. Make sure that your family is very high on your priority list. Number four. Most of us have to work, and I think that Christians ought to be good workers. When someone hires a Christian, they ought to know that they're getting someone who's going to give them an honest day's work that will not cheat them. Because we are Christians, we have a responsibility to the Lord to honor him, even in the marketplace. So, first of all, establish your priorities, and then Learn how to live today. Learn how to live today. The two greatest enemies of time are regrets for the things we did in the past and anxiety about what's going to happen in the future. Many of us are living either in the past or we're living in the future, and we don't know how to live today to make the most of every opportunity. In fact, I think many of us are playing the little game of if only, or I wish it were. You know what I'm talking about? If only, or I wish it were. I wish it were next week, or I wish it were next year, or I wish I were already 18, or I wish I was 21. Some kids go to school and they say, man, I just wish this day were over. Or, I wish it was Christmas break. Now we're saying, I wish it was spring break. I wish it was summertime. 
The story is told about a girl who went off to college. She hated it. She hated everything about it. But she told herself, if I can ever get out of college, and if I can get married and have children, then I'll finally be able to enjoy life. So she stuck with it, went to classes every day. She finally graduated from college. She got married. She had children. And then she discovered children are a lot of work. But she told herself, if I can just get these kids raised, get them out of the house, then I'll be able to relax and to enjoy life. But about the time the kids were entering high school, her husband came to her and he said, guess what? I don't think we have enough money to send our kids to college. Maybe you're going to have to get a job. She didn't want to get a job, but she knew he was right. They needed the money, so she went to work, and she hated it. But she told herself, if I can get these kids out of college get all of these bills paid, then I can quit work and I can really start to enjoy life. Finally, the last child graduated from college. All the bills were paid. She walked into her employer's office and she said, I quit. But he said, no, 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 you don't want to quit now. He says, if you just stay with us another eight years, you'll have a retirement, a pension, that will last you for the rest of your life. And she thought to herself, man, I, I don't want to work another eight years, but, but that's a lot of money to leave on the table. I really can't turn it down. So she worked another eight years, and finally she and her husband retired about the same time. They sold their house, and they bought a little house on the lake. They sat down on the swing on the front porch. They got out the old picture albums. And then they started to reminisce and talk about the good old days. Someone once said that life is what happens to you while you're making plans to do something else. Isn't that so true? Life is what happens to you when you're making plans to do something else. Another year has come and gone, church. A new year stretches out before us. Help us, Lord, to redeem the time. And during the new year, I, I want this for you. This is what someone has written. May you have enough happiness to keep you sweet, enough trials to keep you strong, enough sorrow to keep you human, enough hope to keep you happy, enough failure to keep you humble, enough success to keep you eager, enough friends to give you comfort, enough wealth to meet your needs, enough enthusiasm to make you look forward to tomorrow, and enough determination to make each day better than the one before. Lord, please help us to use the 8,760 hours of this new year in the wisest way possible. 
Let me read to you from Romans chapter 13. And now, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Bow with me. Our God and our Father, we love you. Father, we want this new year to be a year filled with joy, with happiness, enthusiasm. But Father, we want this new year to be filled with thoughts of you, thoughts of Jesus' return, so that we'll put aside the deeds of darkness, we'll put on the armor of light, and that we will use every day, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are truly evil. Father, would you help us as we strive to do that? This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord said to Moses, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And I want to speak this blessing over you this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Happy New Year.